Adaptable Project is here to help, educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. This is the Dad Bod Project. The Dad Bod Project. The Dad Bod Project podcast, we are with Professor Emmanuel Kunch. He's a psychologist and director for the Centre of Alcohol Policy Research at La Trobe Uni. Emmanuel, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for the invitation. Do you drink? I drink, yes. Okay. It's funny how that, that's a loaded question, isn't it? And, and probably it shouldn't be. We might even drill down on that. But it really is a loaded one. I'm looking forward to finding out a few more details about how you drink. But if we're going to have a conversation around men in their 30s and beyond and their physical and mental health, it is impossible to have that conversation without focusing on alcohol. And so that's why we're going straight to you, mate. We're going straight to the top to find out the truth because I reckon in this country and as blokes, we don't tell one another the truth about alcohol. Is that, um, is that assertion on the money, do you reckon? Well, the truth about alcohol, you know, it, it's as any behavior, it's always more tempting to focus on the positive aspects and to kind of ignore the negative aspects. Okay, because, you know, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to deliberately oversimplify this. We've got a pro-alcohol lobby, whether that's the advertisers, the products, or whatever it is, that are neglecting to tell us that alcohol is a foul-tasting poison that causes cancer. And then we've got, say, maybe the anti-alcohol lobby that is probably neglecting to admit that getting pissed with your mates can sometimes be fun. And I feel like we're just, the conversations that we're having are probably not the truth. Is that partially because we don't want to know? Well, there is a couple of things. Um, and of course, yes, well, there's the alcohol industry and they would like to sell their products and um, how can they best sell their products? Yeah, they have a lot of money to invest that in alcohol advertisement and they do that very in a very smart way. That's for sure. But the other... The other issue is, there are two issues. The first is um, there's a very long history with mankind and alcohol, you know. Um, um, other substances, if you compare them, like tobacco or, or cannabis or whatever, Harry, um, they have been around in, in a society for a relatively short amount of time, while the relationship with alcohol goes back thousands and thousands of years and that makes it relatively difficult, you know, to change something because it, it's so ingrained in culture. Um, but there's another aspect, and that is that the link, what, what we perceive while we're drinking is often the positive effects. So the negative effects uh, come much later. Uh, that could be the hangover the next day. It could be the likelihood of getting cancer in 20 years. And whenever you have this association that is not immediate, um, there is this problem, you know, that we have with health behavior. You really have to consciously be aware of it. And, and often we are not, right? It's like the, the, the nail and the hammer. You know, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, the pain is immediate. You know, you, you, you correct yourself immediately. While mm. other health behaviors like um, brushing your teeth or wearing a bike helmet, you really have to consciously think, yeah, well, it's a good thing to do, to wear the helmet, for example. Um, and when it comes to alcohol, we are often not yet there. Yeah, okay. So there is, which probably, it, it's quite interesting. It brings us 
brings me to the next I guess the next question. We just recently recorded episode two with Matthew Richardson, who is our partner on this, and we talked about our dads and we talked about how both of us, our dads are not here now, and particularly in my case, my dad is dead and he's dead as a direct result of alcohol. And men in of that generation were probably given pretty poor advice um, or no advice, which is just drink as much as you want, as often as you want, and good times in the 70s and 80s, and, and now they're not here. What advice do men of this generation, what's the key piece of advice do you think men of this generation need that they're not getting? Um, when it comes to your personal drinking habits? Yeah. Um, a good advice is to have a break. Um, if you're a drinker, a regular drinker, it's always good to have a break and to observe the effect of that break. Um, and that could be, you know, an evening where you would usually drink, let's say you go out with friends to a bar and you, you used to drink a couple of drinks there or you're invited for a dinner at some, someone else's place. Try for once not having a zip and see what will happen. What will happen to your environment, to your friends? Um, what will happen to your own body? What will happen to the conversations? It's very interesting to do that. Um, and the other thing is, uh, well, why not participating in, in a longer break? Um, and, and just, you know, not giving up alcohol from today to tomorrow forever. You know, it's very difficult. And the question is really whether you should do that. But have a break of two weeks, a month. Um, participate in dry July, for example. We just start today. Um, or other, you know, reach out to give advice from Southern the country or, or Hello Sunday morning and so on. It's very instructional because a lot of people, they think, yeah, well, it's just a habit. It's a social thing. You know, I, I don't drink very often. I only drink when I'm with friends or, you know, when there is a special thing, whatever. But really to actively say, no, I don't do that. You know, I break that habit that a lot mm -hmm. of us have. And that, you know, and these habits are so strong. Um, and this habit goes, you know, for everything, you know, be more active or be whatever. Um, so it could be, you know, breaking that habit can be very instructional and, and see, again, see what happens to yourself, to your body, to your social surrounding, um, to your finances. Um, alcohol is expensive, uh, yeah. both on-premise and off-premise. Um, yeah, see what happens if you if you have a longer break. See what happens to your body. Alcohol is highly caloric, for example, coming to you know, men's health, for example. So these are all advice that's very interesting to see. And then decide for yourself what what, what is happening. It's, it, it, is it a good effect? Is it a bad effect? It, it's interesting. Let's bring me to another question then, if that's the case. And and this is a this is a dumb question. I know it's unanswerable, but. And it comes back a little bit to the drinking habits of, say, um, blokes of my generation compared to our dads. You know, a lot of us are not going Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night to the pub, but we are still genuinely binging. Which is worse? Is it that bloke that has four drinks a night, four nights a week, or that bloke that has nothing but goes out once a month, once every two months and genuinely binges? Is there a worse or better? Well, it's different, right? Um, so if you consume alcohol constantly in relatively small dosages, um, let's say two or three drinks each day and really each day as a habit, 
um, there are long-term consequences, uh, most prominently um, cancer, heart-related cancer, but also other um, liver function. Alcohol is a causal factor uh, and responsible for about 200 different um, disease conditions. But to get these disease conditions, um, well, there's a certain uh, risk. Of course, there's not a one-to-one -one relationship. You can, you know, you you will have these drinks, and then for sure, in 20 years, you will die, and so on. Um, if, of course, if you have very, very high dosage of alcohol, let's say you drink a bottle of wine or two bottles of wine each day, doesn't look good. You know, there is really very high risk that people would die directly from alcohol-related consequences. But even in relatively small amounts, there is a higher risk um, for sure for these long-term medical disease conditions. However, um, on the on the other side, you need one occasion to die, right? Um, you have five drinks, you take your car, you speed, you have an accident and you die from, from one uh, occasion. Um, I heard the story about um, adolescents um, back where I worked in Geneva and they, had, they got drunk and they had the good idea to take a paddle boat, you know, this kind of inflatable, you know, whatever. And they went to the lake uh, in wintertime or in, in autumn, uh, but they forgot to put um, the, how you say that, the, the buttons to close the um, whatever. So the boat sank um, and they, they were too drunk to swim. So they drowned. Yeah. Um, and that is a one-time alcohol consumption event. You know, you could be sober for the rest of your life. You have one drink and you die in an accident. And Unfortunately, the risk of accidents increases with the first drink that you have. And the, the more you drink, the higher is the risk of accidents. And these accidents can, you know, if you get to the second, third, fourth bottle of whatever in the cellar, you, you slip the, down the stairs and you break your neck. Um, so there are these two different, uh, and then you cannot say what is better or worse, right? It depends. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that, you know, there's apples and oranges a little bit there, but then, which then here's my next dumb question for you then, in that when we were having this chat last week and I was saying that the only thing my dad did wrong when he was drinking too much was that he drank too much. He was never aggressive. He never crashed a car. He ran businesses, half piece, everything, everything was fine, right? Uh, obviously in larger volumes over a long time, then it's clearly not fine. And I went to the pub with my mates on Friday night and I was reflecting on this and certainly in the company that I'm keeping, particularly once you get to this age, and, and I know it only takes one accident to have an accident, but these are men that are not becoming aggressive. They're not taking their motor vehicles anywhere. They are, um, they're not going home and suddenly becoming um changing their behaviours towards their wives or their children. So all, you know, so really in the short term at least, it appears the only thing that they're getting wrong is feeling really sick the next day. Uh, you know, is it, what do those blokes need to worry about? <laughs> That's a good, a good question. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we still have risks of, long-term cancers and things like that are still coming to play when, when your drinking habits are like that. Well, the, that's the thing about risks in general. You know, it may or may not happen. You could also say, well, in general, I, I was always fine. 
well, I had that, um, that difficult conversation with my wife and we really, you know, got not well together. Or um, I went to work and I did my job, but, you know, you were not as productive as you would be. And so it's very difficult to quantify all the different risks. Yes. And again, because it did not happen the last couple of years, are you sure that it will not happen the next day, right? Or, or um, that you, again, um, that you're not as fresh as you would be. And then, well, that, there was this accident, but that was not related to my drinking last night, right? That was because I was tired and not feeling good, but it was not due to my, due to my alcohol consumption. Yeah, well, why have you been tired, right? So um, it's always what we, what we um, perceive and what we um, associate with, with our um, behavior. And, and, and often alcohol is not the first thing that we would attribute. Yeah. We're going to take a break on the Dad Bod Project podcast. When we come back, we're going to find out about hangovers. And uh, I might ask Emmanuel if he has a cure. No pressure, mate. This is the Dad Bod Project podcast. This is the Dad Bod Project. The Dad Bod Project podcast with Professor Emmanuel Kunch. We want to ask about hangovers. Why do some blokes get them and some don't? Yeah, well, that's, that comes basically down to... A couple of factors, but mainly due to the amount of alcohol you drink, first, first of all. Um, but then there are a couple of side, side factors as well. For example, are you men or women? Women support alcohol less well than men, but mainly also the, the BMI, how heavy you are. You know, the more mass you have, the more alcohol is diluted in the body. So then you can support alcohol better if you're, if you're heavier. Um, other factors include how much um, liquid you do. Basically, it's how much alcohol is diluted in your body. The more concentrated, the, the, the heavier the effects are and the heavier the hangover is. And there's no cure. You know, there, there are some, um, some myths about, yeah, you have to do this to get rid of a hangover or do that. Well, basically, it's a physiological process and, and there's no, no cure against hangover. Also, no cure to get your blood alcohol concentration down once it's up. The, the body metabolizes alcohol as quickly as it can. And there are some individual differences, but uh, yeah, otherwise, it's pure physiology. So. so, when I'm promoting this podcast and I say we've got the cure for a hangover, it's just don't get pissed in the first place, basically. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Don't, right. don't well, we've cured it. We're going to be rich, mate. <laughs> well, the thing is, yeah, well, a good advice is, you know, um, spread out drinks. You know, don't, don't drink as much as you can in a short uh, amount of time. Uh, don't drink a lot uh, on an empty stomach because then the, the, the alcohol gets directly into the blood and into the um, nervous system. Uh, and also try to drink water with alcohol, you know, don't, yeah, whatever you can do to, to dilute, to not have the massive amount of alcohol in your system, that's good advice. Okay. All right. We'll keep that up. Gee, it's hard to remember when you're in the throes of a, throes of a good old fashioned bender. Speaking of which, I want to ask you this. I was out with my mates a couple of years ago, and these are mates that we get together maybe three, four, six times a year, something like that, right? Uh, we've been mates for decades. And we're in the middle of a good session. And one of my mates goes, why do we have to do this? Why do we, every time we get together, have to be in a nightclub 
yelling at each other, drinking for two days. What, he said, why can't we light a fire and just sit around and have a talk? Was, you know, and I didn't have an answer for that. And, you know, my response was a, a fairly bullying one that sort of suggested it was time to fulfil his obligations to go and get the shout. Why can't we do that? Why can't blokes get together in our groups the way we do and alcohol is not part of it? We did research on that and we asked kids at the age of three, four, five. So basically as soon as they can talk. And as soon as they can talk, they have a very good understanding, not only about alcohol consumption per se, but also among alcohol consumption norms, when it's appropriate, for whom it's appropriate, what kind of alcohol drinks, um, what kind of person, and also what kind of emotional response people have when they drink. Imagine three to four-year-old kids. They are very, very good observers. Now, most of these kids know, of course, that alcohol is not for them. It's an adult thing to do. Um, but they learn the... the Uh, the norms, what, what is appropriate to do over more than a decade, right? So whenever you go as a little kid into an AFL stadium, for example, look around. Look around what is happening, yeah? You will see beer everywhere. And, and as, as, you know, as soon as the kids come to the stadium, they learn over, over years and years and years. Apparently... What you do when you go there, there is excitement, there is whatever, but there's also alcohol, you know? And, and there are other things like that, New Year's Eve, celebrations, you know? We learn that. We learn that over a very, very, very long time, and we associate alcohol with celebrations and, and also very typical things. Um, and for every one of us, that's, that's a little bit different. Um, but when it then comes to the, the specific... Uh, situation, well, then the kids perform like they have learned it over time and time and time. You know, so, so basically as a kid already, you learn that coming together with mates, that involves alcohol. And that has to involve, and we are very, very good in performing according to norms. We all need our norms, our habits, and, and what we think is normal. It's very difficult to be outside of a norm. People don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, And therefore, it's often, you know, given from one uh, generation to the next. And then once this started, um, it's no longer a question, right? So when, when a drinker goes to a bar, there is not the question what kind of drink the people drink, you know. It, it's clear since the beginning or, or to an AFL game or whatever, um, because there are these habits form. And, and what you say, you know, you come together and there's no question, right? It, it, it is mm -hmm. the norm that had been established since childhood or since your first reunion or whatever. And then the script goes on. And again, as I said earlier, it's very instructive um, to once break out of that habit and to, to do something else and to see what's happening really consciously, you know? Um, yeah. As, as you said, why, why are we doing that? Yeah, if you ask yourself the question, do it differently. Um, go to a different place to um, have a barbecue without a drink, um, just to see what's happening. It's really interesting. It's really interesting, but bloody difficult. I mean, you know, and certainly having had periods where I say personally, I stopped my casual drinking. I see I kept up my binge drinking, but I stopped my casual drinking. And even then, how you have to answer questions, it's like, 
it's, uh, you know, even for those that are fairly confident in themselves and doing that to go to those situations and say, oh, I'm just, I'm just not drinking, you, you've got to have a really good reason. Like it is really quite remarkable, you know. So I think that's almost another conversation is almost how to do it, you know. That's why I think, John, when you mentioned Dry July before are probably pretty good because they provide some sort of structure and excuse and reason um, that we're probably looking for a little bit. But because the thing that was highlighted just for me just then, you know, I had uh, we had this conversation with Richard last week. I took my six-month-old son into my dad's funeral thinking, well, this is really shit. And, and mate, he died in alcoholic, right? And um, and I was, I guess I've had this sort of rhetoric with myself and my mates that, it, well, we're not repeating those mistakes. We're doing it better, but we're actually probably not doing it as better as we think we are because, like I said, you know, I would drink. I stopped drinking. I decided that I was not going to have the three or four drinks anymore, but that was pointless. But when I meet my mates once every two months, I'll still binge, sometimes for two days, right? So, you know, and, and we're really good at it. No one's ever been hurt, and I know that's possible. No one's ever getting in a fight or any of that stuff. You know, they're all good people who just drink too much. That's the only thing they're doing wrong. Um, and I think we've got this false sense of security around that. And so I think that uh, these conversations to remind ourselves that we need to be more vigilant than we are are really important. And, and really ask yourself, why, why would you need that? You know, alcohol often is a quick fix. Um, yeah, you get relaxed and you, you, you gather a substance to make you relax, make you non-responsible because it was not me, that's what's the alcohol, you know, it's a quick fix. It's a good excuse for all kinds of behaviors. Well, do we really need that excuse? Do we really need that quick fix or can we not function sober and, and with our minds? You know, do we need um, a psychoactive substance to mediate between friends? Can we just mm. we just together, right? Or, or you know, go, going going on a party and just have a good time together instead of needing a drink to have a good time together. But yeah, yeah as I said, habits. You know, if, if you started like this, you saw that um, when he was young that people came together and they had a drink, and then when they had a drink, they had a time good time together. So um, we learned that. I learned that too. Um, so now yes. to, after after. 40 years, it's very difficult to, to all of a sudden say, no, I question that. And the other good thing is, I think we are really at, at the moment where a moment of change. So the entire society get more um, aware of risks in general. You know, we, we have now bike helmets and we, you know, uh, there are car, uh, whatever, safety and so on. So the it, it, being healthy becomes more and more value and, and, and trying to, uh, veganism and so on, being politically correct, environmentally friendly and friendly to our own bodies becomes more and more a tendency. And I hope that um, a reduction in alcohol consumption will be possible. But of course, then on the other hand, we have a powerful industry and they have a very strong interest to sell as, as many drinks as they can possibly. And... They have a lot of funding to to seduce us into drinking. Yeah. So let's see how this battle will continue. I'm still hopeful uh, that we can make some progress in in yeah. better health. Look, it is yeah, and again, it just it really highlights you know I guess this demographic that I'm talking about of guys that actually don't see any direct consequence at all besides a hangover. They they still need to be the target because most of the guys I think that we're talking to are guys that are being aggressive to their wives, you know, or that they are, that they've 
been caught drink driving four times now or whatever. You know, they're the people sort of we're pitching to. But I think we need to pitch to people like me, like I said, or like even my dad, who was really good at it, right? And he was drinking a slab a day for a long time. He was running pubs, he was doing whatever. There was no evident negative consequence in anything he did or what was apparent. Now, I'm sure there was, but he's dead now. And, you know, he, he just made it to his 60s as a result. He was lucky to do that. So just the guys, I guess, like us and my mates, as I was really knowing that we were going to have this conversation with my mates on Friday night, looking at these guys, they haven't done anything wrong as a result of alcohol besides feel sick and not be productive the next day for a good 20 years. So, um, you know, so I think the conversation with those guys to say, you're not off the hook. You're not off the hook. You need to be, you need to be vigilant and you need to be wary and you need to, like you say, step out yourself a little bit and ask yourself, why, why are we having 25 beers tonight? Do we need to do it? But very instructive was for me, and that's off the record a little bit, um, that... I was on my push bike and a car hit me and, and I broke my collarbone and ripped off the tendon so the entire left shoulder was, was damaged. And I had high dosage of painkillers and so on. So I could not drink. And then the, the neighbors were over and the neighbors are heavy drinkers. And I said, well, I can't because due to my medication. And then at that dinner, everyone else got really not pretty inebriated except myself. It was super interesting because all of a sudden I did not find the joke silly that they were laughing, that everyone else was yeah. laughing. At and and yeah. I was really yeah, like, am I really together with the same people? Um, yeah. So it can be really instructional to, to step out of, out of these, these habits um, from time to time. And it's not to say, you know, that, that you should, as I said, that you should give up alcohol completely. But often for a lot of drinkers, um, it's easier, actually, should have said that too. It's easier to just say, well, tonight I will not drink, full stop. Um, if you like to st stop at the second drink, they say, oh, yeah, well, a third, a third is not, you know. I, as I said, with the drink, uh, drinking intentions, um, I, I stick to two drinks because that's the recommended limit, right? And then you have your two drinks and you're feeling good and you're feeling the effects. I said, oh, come on, a, a third one, you know, a third one will not matter, right? So I have my third drink, and then after a third, it's like, uh, what do I do with the rest of the evening? You know, um, so I probably open the fourth one, and and since I already had four, well, you know, I did not say anyway, so I can have a fifth and a sixth one because no, now that now the evening is gone, right? Um, yeah. So then it's easier actually to say, well, today is a non-drinking day, full stop, and that's very easy to you know easy. That's easy to keep in your head instead of, you know, having, yes. um, and it's really interesting when it comes to the drink driving thing, um, because uh, there's also, you know, you could have two probably, but yeah, it can be difficult to stick to these two. Yeah, that's, look, that's, I think it has to be that way. I certainly, well, certainly that's what I did. And look, and so my dad was a publican. And I own pubs and I've worked in entertainment my whole life, right? So traveling. So alcohol is everywhere my whole life, every day. And I decide, I'd always said I could give up if I wanted, but then I didn't. So, you know, everyone says that. So one day I went, you know what, because the binge drinking is going to happen anyway. I accept that that's going to happen. But having four drinks at a gig and then sobering up and going home, well, that's felt stupid. So I, about 15 years ago, I stopped that altogether. I don't have two drinks I feel like that's the stupidest thing in the world. But having those conversations, when you go somewhere, just have one, just have two, and you've got to say to people, no, 
Now, that's that's really challenging for a lot of people. But, yeah, I think it, it's got to be one or the other. You've got to go whether you're doing it or you're not doing it. And hopefully the society will change a little bit. So I I, I met, uh, I can remember 20 years ago, you know, cigarette smoking was everywhere. You, you could smoke yeah. in the office, you could smoke wherever you wanted to. And yeah. that radically changed. Um, the, the, the norms around that changed. So perhaps, you know, in, in 20 years, who knows, it will be more accepted. You know, it will be not, you know, that we just had the first um, non-alcoholic bar in Melbourne um, and now in Sydney. So perhaps there is this tendency that we will get together and we can do something else. We can enjoy company more instead of we get together and we have to have a drink because that's the norm. That's, that's what everyone else do, does. And, and this is what, what always had been like this. So that's yeah. Yeah, interesting times when it comes to changes in, in alcohol norms, consumption norms in general, perhaps. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting and and pun intended, um, quite sobering. We're going to take our break on the Dadbod Project podcast. The Dadbod Project is here to help educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. The Dadbod Project podcast with Professor Emmanuel Kunch. It's been brilliant to have you here. I just want to talk. We have um, we've been in lockdown a lot. Are there any statistics or anything out yet about how drinking habits changed for those of us in Australia during lockdown? And is there a breakdown between men and women there as well? Um, lockdown was very interesting for us. It was almost an experiment because you can imagine if, if pubs and bars close, what will happen? And what we found is that there was an enormous reduction in drinking among younger people. And there was almost no reduction whatsoever among elderly or or. Older, older adults, whatever you will uh, define that, and and it's you know it's clear when you look at the drinking habits that young people they often get together, they drink more in social context, um, they mo go more often out together, and so on. While um, elderlyish adults, so I don't know <laughs> from when on you define that. Let's say 30, 35, 40 plus. Um, People often sit at home, they have their um, stock of alcohol at home. They make sure that the stock is always good filled. And, and then when the lockdown comes, well, you have the alcohol at home and you can continue drinking as you ever did. Um, what we also found that some stress-related drinking increased, but overall there was not much of an increase. Um, okay. It was rather shift, so to speak. Um, some people drank less. That's also the other thing with, uh, with stress. Some people drink more when they're stressed. Other people drink less when they're stressed. So overall, there was surprisingly not a dramatic effect of, of, um, of the lockdown on drinking overall. Yeah, okay. Look, that's interesting. I asked you at the start if you drink, how, what's an average week or night or something look like for you if you know, alcohol is a part of your life despite your... Um, supreme knowledge on it. How do you drink? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, I try to drink less, of course. Um, the thing is, I also had, like most of people of my generation, I had drinking parents, regularly drinking parents, and I know very well how difficult it is to, to um, step out of habits and to change habits. And I try to be mindful about my drinking, but, you know, I'm... Um, I have my demons like like anyone else. Um, so, can I ask you? Do you difficult? Do you drink to get drunk? Um, is I that in your? 
No, well, I, I get all the advisor, um, but yeah, I don't. I try not to, to get drunk when drinking. No. Yes, oh, because this is the thing I haven't understood either, and I know that um, uh, not everybody agrees with it. But I just the point of drinking and not getting drunk, I just don't understand. I'm not just not sure why you why you would do it at all. But well, um, we, we did interesting research and, and asked people, uh, "What is your intention to drink?" Um, young adults. Um, what is your intention? How much do you think you will drink tonight? And basically, only one third of the people stick to their drinking. Um, and some drank less than they thought they would, um, but the big, big majority um, drank much more than I thought they would. And the, the thing with drinking is that, you know, once you start drinking, there are all kind of processes like you um, um, decrease the tension and, and other things that make you accelerate drinking. We did another study where we followed people across the night and found they drink more and more as time goes by. So from eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock until midnight, people tend to accelerate their drink. They, they drink more and more per hour. So while the first drink is spread out after um, over, over a couple of hours, then the next drink they have one and so on. So you lose track about, the, the more you get inebriated, the more you lose track about your consumption and the more there's the tendency of drinking more and more. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, you know, it's a, almost probably a separate, separate podcast in and of itself. We always like to get a tip from our guest if there's, and it might be, there might be someone, there might be a bloke listening to this sitting at home at seven o'clock and they're thinking, I might go to the bottle shop and get a couple of cans, but I know I shouldn't. Is there any advice for that guy? Yeah, as I already said, you know, it's very interesting to step out of your habits and to, to do an effort and just try it out, you know. Um, again, I think most people, they think, ah, oh, yeah, well, it's just a bad habit. I can change that any time, but they never do. So yeah. once you do it, uh, it can be very instructional. Um, but, of course, there is a couple of things that you could do. For example, in the evening, go for a walk and try to replace the behaviors, not just sitting at home and say, I don't drink, I don't drink, I don't drink. Now, now do something else. Um, that helps, you know, not only thinking about the drink at the moment. Going for a walk, for example, is, is very nice. Uh, do, do sports activities, also very good. Um, the other thing is social company. You know, when, when you stick together with always the same people and they disapprove you of not drinking, it's very, very hard. As you said, you know, you're in the peer group and everyone's questioning, hey, why are you not drinking? We did research um, on that and found that often people have... Um, they are slightly ashamed of, of, you know, this kind of, that a non-drinker in the drinking situation is often that mural, you know, that, that you would say, well, so this guy's not drinking. I'm, you know, questioning the own drinking habits and people uh, can react even aggressively to that. So if you have social companies supporting you, your wife, girlfriend, your, your mates, um, they say, ah, oh, I think that's a good. That's a good thing. You know, I, I really no. Yeah. You shouldn't. You shouldn't drink today. That that can really make the difference um, when you have social support or if you have social approval of your non-drinking. Um, and then another thing, as I already said, it's good to reach out to to some organizations and they help with um, temporary not not drinking or reducing your drinking. 
like so uh, how on Sunday morning um, dry Julys over in the country and others lifeline where you can get advice um, how to stick to to your your um, promises. Professor Emmanuel Crunch, it's been a, a real privilege and it just highlights that this is a conversation we need to have more. We need to tell the truth and, um, and you know, the conversations around we're having around our dads and what they got wrong and how we think we're doing it better. There's a lot of things that we're not doing better. It's a sobering conversation. So those of us with organisations like the Dadbod Project need to keep this as part of the conversation. We're really glad that you're part of it today. Yeah, thanks so much.